episode five, Time Out with DG. I'm your host, Daniel Gotera. Uh, thanks for sticking around because, like I've said before, if you're still with us, then that means we're doing something right on this thing. Um, and now we've taken the show on the road because that's how versatile we are here with Time Out with DG, the podcast. We take this thing on the road. We're right down the street from the golf club of Houston, and I've got a very, very special guest with me. His name is Damon West. I can go through all the titles that he currently holds, but we're going to go author, motivational speaker. Damon West, thank you so much for joining us. Damon, how are you? Uh, great, Daniel. First of all, thanks for having me on, man. And, and whenever you called me up about doing this podcast with you, I mean, I, first of all, I was honored to do it. You've done so much, not just for me, but for my community where I live. I'll never forget what you and KHOU did for the people of Port Arthur, the people of Southeast Texas during Hurricane Harvey, man. I really, anytime you ever need me, I'm in, man. That's Dude, anytime you ever need me, we're in, and I'm glad we were able to get all that coordinated, man. That was something else, wasn't it? Man, we probably moved 150 trucks through there that all came in because of that Facebook message that went viral because you put it on KHOU. Yeah, site. that's exactly what happened. I mean, you got a hold of me, you put something on your page, and it was getting some traction, and then you called me up and said, like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it, because I think social media was so huge during that Harvey thing, and absolutely. people from all over the country. The thing had 300,000 views, I mean, just literally overnight. I mean, yeah. it was, and people were getting in touch with me. I, I had to get a warehouse. I had to go get a warehouse the next day because I had 18 wheelers coming in from all over the country. I mean, it was just literally the most impressive, massive effort I've ever seen. And outpouring on social media ever, man. Social media, you know, I've learned, you know, it can be, it can cut both ways, but if you use it for the for the right way, it can be a very good tool. Yeah, I think social media sometimes gets a bad rap, but you can reach a lot of people a lot of ways. And um, I thought that was awesome. So while we were happy to do it, and anytime you ever need me, we're here. Um, so tell me about, <laughs> this is kind of a loaded question when I ask, because I usually start this thing off with, tell me about your journey. When I ask you that question, holy smokes, we can be here for like three or four hours, but how do you encapsulate where you are right now in your life? Well, you know, my sponsor in recovery told me that when I was in prison and I got into recovery, he said, Damon, if you work this program recovery every day, you'll have to make, you have to pinch yourself to make sure you're not dreaming. Daniel, every day I have to pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming. Right after I say that prayer that I say every morning that God put in front of me, what you need me to do today for you and let me recognize it when I see it. And that's really all, the only thing I pray for. Because going out and being a servant leader means that I want to find ways to put back in the stream of life, find ways to help other people out. And by doing that, Daniel, so many doors have been opened to me in this life. What's going on in my life may not have ever happened before for another guy coming out of prison this yeah. quickly. And um, just, I mean, the success, let's say on a, on, a, on, a, on a personal level, being able to go out and affect lives like that, being able to go out, I get messages all the time and, and kids write letters and family members write letters about the impact my story has had on them. And that's one of the greatest blessings. Uh, you know, the fact they get to go all over the place, so all these college football programs, right. you know, but going back into prisons too and rooms of recovery, that's a big deal. One of the biggest things, I mean, it's, you know, in two books written, I went back to grad school, I got my master's in criminal justice, but I got married in May. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in, on May 18th, 2019, 10 years to the day that I got sentenced to life in prison. That's I became, wild. I know, I, I, 10 years to the day. I mean, we even got married at one o'clock the time I was sentenced by the That's Dallas County. That's an amazing thing. For a life in prison. 
But I became a husband and a stepfather. And it's the two best hats I get to wear today, man. And yeah. that's what life is all about, those relationships we build along the way. So for the folks that don't know about your story, let's, let's kind of recap it just a little bit. And I'll let you tell it because if I try, then I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it to high heaven. But go ahead. You tell your story. How'd you start and how'd you get to this point? Well, there, there's a lot of layers to it. So, I mean, if you butchered it, don't feel bad. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of people get it right. There is a book called The Change Agent if you want to see it right. Oh, yes. No, yes. Please <laughs> go get it. Go read. No, no. We're going to plug that a little later. Yeah. Sure, sure. No, I'm with you. I know we will. Um, no, so look, man, I, I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas. My dad was a sports writer there for 50 years. He was the first sports writer in that part of the state to put black athletes on the front page of the sports page. Uh, it was 1971 was the year that happened, four years before I was born. My mother is a nurse. I got an older brother, younger brother, nice, knit, little happy family. Um, and, I, and I get the background about that all the time, especially in front of sports teams, because I want people to understand I was raised right. I was raised by good people. They, yeah. they gave me a great moral compass. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I had some issues growing up. You know, I was molested when I was nine, got into substance abuse when I was 10, started drinking, started smoking cigarettes. By the time I'm 12, I'm smoking pot. But Daniel, I had a, a lightning bolt for right arm, and God just blessed me to have to be a, a great quarterback. And, and this is Texas, you know, Texas high school football in the early 90s. and. Uh, so I was a three-year starter in high school, playing college, playing high school football. Got what was that like, by the way? Oh and my you God. realize you had a rocket for a right you know, arm, and, and well, you get to play that position, especially. It was in great. You know, quarterback is the most cerebral position in all the sports. Hey, you know, it's funny. I was putting someone on social media one day about quarterback being the most, the hardest position in all the sports, the most cerebral. Yeah. And this guy that had played Major League Baseball, that we're <laughs> friends on Facebook, he said, no, 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 pitcher is. Yeah, and that's like, always the debate, by the like, way. Well, like, when was the last time you threw a pitch and a 300-pound guy running a 4-6 chased you? You know, sometimes so, three hundred pound guys are pitching. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's this is true. But I just I, I don't I don't know that the pitcher is a tougher position than quarterback. But yeah. it was great, man. It was, and I like I like the energy. I like the adrenaline that goes with the position. I mean, because it really is the most cerebral position in all of sports. You look at all the other positions that you have to play, but the quarterback has to know what everybody on his side of the ball is doing, and everybody on the other side of the ball is doing, and. So much so that I mean, quarterbacks can make transitions to other positions where guys sure. can't always do that to a quarterback. You know, you can't transition from another position to quarterback. So from there, you go to North Texas. Go to University of North Texas. Got a scholarship to play football there. Uh, you know, when I got to college, really the only things that I cared about were being the starting quarterback for my Division One team and, and partying. And I did both really well. But um, September 21st, 1996 was a day that would change my life forever. Because that was the day we took the field against Texas A&M. It was a beautiful Saturday afternoon at College Station, Texas. And by the third play of that game that I was starting, I was a 20-year-old starting quarterback playing Division One football against Texas A&M. I mean, what kid? Kyle growing, Field, yeah. Kyle Field. Starting, I mean, yeah. what kid growing up in Texas doesn't want to either play for these guys or against them? You know. That's right. And by the third play of the game, I go down, separate my shoulder. And I never played college football again. And, and at that fork in the road in life, I made a lot of bad choices when football was gone. I started getting into to hardcore substance abuse, cocaine, ecstasy, pills. And, you know, I graduate somehow in 1999 from college with a bachelor's degree. I move off to Washington, D.C. I get a job working in politics in the United States Congress, work for a guy running for president of the United States, raising money for him all around the country. Mm -hmm. In 04, he drops out of the race, and I moved back to Dallas, Texas, to train to be a stockbroker for UBS, one of the biggest banks in the world. And it was at that job as a broker that I was introduced to methamphetamine for the first time. And Daniel, meth was a game changer, man. I mean, and I know I've talked about a lot of these drugs almost casually. These are all bad things to do, but meth was different. It was different on a yeah. whole other level. It grabbed me and never let go. It's something that a lot of people just don't understand, right? Because they, you know, sometimes they they lump drugs all together, but that 
that was well, what what was the reaction that you had when you started doing it uh, what did it make you feel hype, like what was what was it like yeah yeah you know hyper awareness is what i would say i mean you feel electrified when you do that drug and you feel like you know you can get all kinds of stuff done because you're up for days mm-hmm. on this thing and so and at first you do you actually get a lot of stuff done but then you know your body starts breaking down you're up for four days at a time and and your mind is going to have to go to sleep at some point while your body's still up moving around then you have to go to sleep for a couple of days to and That's it, wild, it, it's crazy and you can't get enough of it and so you get to a point where you don't ever want to come down and that's where i got i got more and more addicted and I never want to come down. And I gave everything away for that drug. I gave up my job, my home, my savings account, my car, my family. And I went from working on Wall Street. And you, and you don't know it, right, at the time. No. You know, I mean, you're just lost in it. You're lost in it. You're lost in it. You get absorbed by it. You know, I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas. I remember one day, Daniel, when I was, you know, homeless and living in a dope houses at this point. It was like 2006. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, I was homeless. I can literally say I was homeless. And... um I remember this cell phone that I had, and I was, I was looking through the, the call. The call is my phone book. And I remember thinking, damn, damn, what happened to yourself, man? At one time, I had numbers to chiefs of staffs of presidents, senators, congressmen, bankers, you know, people that are pillars of pro, pro athletes. And now I've got drug dealers, pimps, pushers, other people I fence stolen goods to. My, my Rolodex is just an organized crime Rolodex at this point. That's an amazing thing. And then you, but you can't, you're so wrapped up into it. Even though you have that realization at that moment, you, you you can't get out of it, right? I mean that 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 was it was or what what was your mindset during that time? And so yeah, so I'm an addict, you know, and yeah. and I tell people all the time I'm still an addict. I'm always going to be an addict, you know. And addicts are, are people that we have a different thought process than other people. We we obsess over things. We have a thought, then it obsesses, and then it becomes something we put, we put in because physical. So when you're doing the drugs like that. Um, it takes control of you. It takes control of all your thoughts, what you do, and, and you get so wrapped up in this stuff that you can't tell what you end is up, man. Your reality has changed, and your reality changes so much because you you surround yourself with people that are doing the same bad things you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So I cut off all the other relationships in life, family, everybody else that wasn't doing drugs, and my world was the drug world. So there was another important date in your life uh, when it all came kind of crashing down. Tell me about that point. Man, July 30th, 2008, you know, it's a day I'll never forget. I was sitting on the couch um, smoking. I was smoking meth with this meth dealer, this guy named Tex. And and I'm telling Tex as we're passing the pipe back and forth, Tex, I think the end is near, man. I think the cops are going to come get me pretty soon. And you see, 10 days before this, this guy that I've been doing all these burglaries with, this guy named Dustin, had been picked up by the Dallas Police Department. And so, man, they're putting the screws to this guy. I know it's a matter of time before they get to me. And just as I pass the pipe back to Tex, I heard a window shatter off to my right and tumbling across my living room floor it's this little canister going end over end daniel and it's like i can see it in your face now you remember it's it, like a like slow motion reel from a movie man yeah. and, I, and, and i got up off the couch and i and i went to look at this thing and bam right in my face the, the flashbang grenade goes off it's a bright white light it's a loud noise and i'm blown back on the couch and when i came to when i can see and hear again this cop in full SWAT riot gear. He's got his boot on my chest, the barrel of a machine gun is digging in my eye socket, and he's screaming at me. And I guess he's screaming because I couldn't hear it first. You know, But when I hear him again, it's, don't move, don't move. It's over and over, don't move. And I blinked, and I was like, don't worry, don't worry. you know. And then other cops start flooding to the apartment, and one of them screamed out, we got him. We got the uptown burglar. And, 
you know, Daniel, it doesn't matter how much good I can put back in this life, what kind of, you know, lessons I can teach along the way. I'll never escape that moniker, the Uptown Burglar. And that's the consequences of my decisions. And then from there, you get the life sentence. Yeah. So, you know, and I go through the, the, the jail process. Uh, I was in jail for 10 months. And, and in that county jail, you know, I, you know, my mom was a big guiding hand in this thing. She reminded me the first time I called home from jail that they loved me unconditionally and that she reminded me about footprints in the sand, this prayer plaque that was on my wall as a kid growing up. And and she, you know, she prayed, you know, she told me to start praying to God, get on God's back. And But this isn't some jailhouse conversion story, Daniel. I mean, it, and I, my prayers to God were deluded prayers of an addict. Uh, yeah. Get me out of here so I can get high again. Because that's what I kept thinking about the whole time in county jail, Daniel. Sure. I'm thinking, how can I get some drugs in a Dallas county jail? Because how many years at that point were you addicted to meth? How many, oh, four was years. Four, four years. years. Four years at that point. So yeah, there was no way ten months was gonna. No, no. no. So way. ten months later, when May eighteenth, two thousand nine, um, you know, I've gone to trial. It's the sixth day of a trial, and a six-day trial in Texas is a long criminal trial for crimes that were non-aggravated. Where no one non-aggravated means no one was physically hurt during the commission of my crimes. Mm-hmm. I didn't. No one was ever home. I never saw any of my victims personally. Uh, they're property crimes created committed around meth and. Um, but a jury listened to evidence, overwhelming evidence of my guilt. And at the end of six days, a jury of my peers deliberated for 10 minutes on my sentence. 10 minutes, oh, man, Daniel. 10 and I'm like, man, and I mean, like, I tell people all the time, I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. And so when I came into the courtroom and the judge gaveled it back in, you know, bam, bam, bam. He says, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And, I mean, 65 years is a life sentence, man. They gave me – probation was on the table, Dan. I mean, it, wow. it, yeah, it's not it's not not even, like, close. I mean, they took my life away. First thought when he said that to you? <laughs> the first thought when he said that to me is, oh, my God, my parents, my family. You know, what now? How did I – I've destroyed them. How did it get to this point? Yeah. How did it get to this point? Yeah, and, and I remember thinking that, you know, what what must they be thinking right now? Because I heard my mother gasp on the front row. <gasps> you know, the wow. sound only a mother can make when her, she hears her son get a life sentence in prison. And um, they gave me five minutes with them after the sentence. They put me in the special room. It's got a bulletproof glass. And and my mom had one of the most important conversations with me ever. And, you know, she was telling me about debts in life, demand to be paid. And you just got hit with a hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said... But you owe a debt to your father, not to. Because she said, you, we gave you all the opportunity, love, and support mm-hmm. to be anything you want to be in this life. And, and this is how you repay it. She said, that's not going to work. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, Damon, a giant melting pot of a city. And she reminded me about, you know, being one of the only white kids growing up at school events and, and yeah. sports teams and stuff like that. She said, Damon, when you go to this prison, you're not going to get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs. Because you're scared because you're a minority in there. She said, that's not going to work. She said, you're not getting any tattoos when you're in there. And, and I show people my arms all the time. You know, I didn't get any tats the whole time I was yeah. there. And, uh, but my mom said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. Tough love, man. She said, do you understand? Well, that hits home. Oh, yeah. That She's may like, have hit home maybe a little harder than the judge says. I mean, that that's from your mother. That's from that, my mom. And, and But, but you know, me and my and naivete, I mean, she's like, do you understand this debt you're going to pay? And I'm like, yeah, Mom, I understand this debt I'm going to pay. I got it. Man, I had no clue, Daniel. I've no never idea. been to prison before. What do I know about prison? You know, I've never stepped in, in the side of a prison. So I get back into the pod in Dallas County Jail, and I, I've got two months before the prison bus is going to come pick me up. And I'm asking all these guys, how am I going to survive prison? And 
every man I talk to in that jail, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, is saying the same thing. Man, you got to get into a gang. There's no way you're going to survive. You're 33 years old, man. You're going to the worst part of the prison system where everybody in the building you live on has a life sentence. Get into a gang, Wes. Make your life easy. There was this one guy, though, this older African-American guy named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson, you know, he was in his 60s. He had been to prison four or five times. and But a real positive guy, a seasoned convict, real positive guy. And so he came to me one morning and he said, you know, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads, these dummies. Talking about you to get to a gang, you know. (laughs) He said, don't listen to them. And and that's when he gave me this analogy. He said, you know, he said, Damon, you're going to go through the hardest part of the process. He said, you got to fight all the white gangs you know, first when you walk in, because prison's all about race. He said, so Aryan Brotherhood, Aryan Circle, White Knights of the Woods. He said, and if you survive all that, he said, then you're going to fight the black gangs because they're going to send the black gangs after you because you're not going to get with the program of race. He said, that's what race is all, that's what prison's all about. So he's saying the Crips, the Bloods, Gangster Disciples, mm-hmm. Mandingo Warriors. And so my head is spinning. And I bet it is spinning. Oh, my God. It's, 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 <laughs> what on earth are you thinking at that point? It's just like, what? I'm really thinking I might have to get into a gang. Yeah. Because I mean, there's I'm like I can't survive. I can't fight. I'm not a fighter. I'm not that. I mean, I, I I'll fight. I'll defend right, myself. Right. But man, I'm not as built for that. As he's talking to you, you're like, oh, Mr. Jackson, I, I I don't I don't think this is gonna work. Yeah. For me. I, <laughs> I mean, I, this is and, possible. And, and I told him, I said, I, I don't I don't have a good a good feeling about the outcome of this. And he said, he said, imagine that prison is like a pot of boiling water. He said, and anything we put in this pot of boiling water is gonna be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I want to put three things in that pot of boiling water we call prison and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he goes through the progression. You know, the carrot turns soft. When it gets into prison, you know, it goes in hard, but gets soft. You know, prison prison, prison makes the carrot soft. He gets beat, he gets robbed, may get raped, and he may get killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot. And he said, the egg turns hard. He said, the egg has a hard outer shell. Eggs are physically fine because that shell protects them. But inside that soft liquid core their heart becomes hardened and he said if your heart becomes hardened west you're incapable of giving or receiving love he said and if you're incapable of giving or receiving love you've become institutionalized he said uh what about the coffee bean Wes?" and i had no clue dana what happens to a coffee bean and mr jackson laughed at me he said <laughs> you know for for a college boy you're not too smart because all that education I've <laughs> yeah got, right, right really right. not gonna help me now uh he said, if I put a coffee bean in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you got to change the name of the water to coffee. He said, the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said, everybody in life puts out energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. He's saying, so if you go around that prison positive all the time with a smile on your face and you don't let those guys know they're, they're getting you, no matter what they do, man, smile. He said, you'll change prison from the inside out. He said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans will find you because of your energy. And the last thing he told me before I got on that prison bus to get shipped to prison was go out there and go be a coffee bean. And, uh, Daniel, my whole world changed at that point, man. Isn't that wild? Just that one phrase. Yeah. Because I guess it didn't really hit you that phrase until you got in. No, it it didn't. And, you know. Because at that point, it's like, man, that's great advice. But I gotta live it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, you know, you, man, you, you hit the you nail on the head. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, dude, it, this didn't come with an instruction manual. In prison right. was brutal. The first two months of prison was brutal, man. And I documented very, 
thoroughly in my book. Um, yeah. But the first couple of weeks, you know, it, I get through the white gangs, and then you know, it's next four weeks is fighting the black gangs. Sometimes more than one at a time, and I mean, they're coming at me left and right. One of my it, favorite stories is the basketball one. Oh man, the basketball story. If you don't mind sharing that one, absolutely. A, yeah, no, no, that's, it's, it's a great it, story. Yeah, I mean, it, because about it, perseverance and it just really hits home with that coffee bean. And then that's when I first realized about the coffee bean thing because so, you know, about six weeks into this, um, I'm realizing, man, you know, I'm fighting these black gangs, and I'm like, you know what, man, I'm an athlete. Uh, I'm living scared a little bit. I don't want to. Uh, sometimes I don't leave my cell because I, I don't want to fight that day. I've been in dozens of fights, and I lost most of them. Three quarters of them, I'm losing, you know. So I go down to the rec yard on a Monday morning, about six weeks into prison, and uh, the rec yard's very segregated in, in the life sentence building. Man, you, got, you know, volleyball court's got the whites and Hispanics only. The handball court, all the races can play, but you can't double up and play partners with someone of the opposite race. The, the weight stack, you can't. Wow, play. Whole, that's a whole new world. In oh, it's, it's it's the most segregated place I've ever seen in my life. And you know, the weight stack, you want to lift weights and. The guy spot, you just got to be the same race as you. You know that's how serious they are about racing there. So I went straight to the basketball court where no whites are allowed, and so they're not going to let me get in this game. But I've been watching them for two weeks, man, and I, I plotted it out. They've got a flaw in their system that I found. After, a flaw. Oh yeah, because after every game they play, they're going to shoot for teams. The first two guys to make shots get to be captains. Anybody who's ever played street basketball knows what shoot, shoot for teams is. And man, I grew up in Port Arthur. Man, I grew up playing street basketball on the West Side. Man, I've been the only white guy before plenty of times. So I got to get in this game though. And so the lopsided game that I'm watching is, you know, I get on the side of the court where none of the game's going to end. And as soon as that last basket goes to the last ball goes to the last basket, I went and fell on the basketball. Man, like wrapped it up like a fumble drill in football. When I got up. The entire basketball court swarmed around me, man. Just oh, a geez. sea of angry black faces. They're they're mad, man. They're, I've got their basketball, and, and I don't belong out there, man. I've violated all the rules of prison. But, I mean, I'm backed into a corner at this point, man. I don't have anything to lose, I feel like. So I'm going Exactly out. right. I mean, you're yeah. just sitting there and just like, i got to do something. And sometimes your toughest opponent in life is the one that's backed into a corner, man. Don't ever underestimate an animal that's backed into a corner because, yeah. I mean, they may come out and scratch your face off. And so that's where I am with this basketball. They're screaming at me, give us our ball back. And, I'm man, the toughest voice I could find, squeaking and cracking. I'm like, man, you all just going to hurt me, man, because I'm, <laughs> I'm playing basketball. And... Sometimes the toughest opponent is yourself too. Absolutely, man. Because, I found that out in prison. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. It's yeah, because I mean, you know, mentally, uh, most most battles are fought in one between your ears, man. Mm -hmm. So, but I got in the game. I made I made my shot. They let me shoot. I got in the game, and uh, basically it was you know nine on one games for about six days. I mean, it's I mean it's not a five on five. No, no, nobody wanted me out there, and and they're they're giving it to me everywhere they can. I'm giving it back whenever I can. Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, I'm banged up, but I survive. And at the end of six days of this, on the, on the Saturday after that, after this process started, you know, these guys circled up around me and they said, "Man, you pulled something off out here we had never seen a white boy pull off before. Man, you took everything we had, you gave it back when you could. You never got racial with us. You never called us any names. You don't have to worry about the blacks the rest of the time you're in prison." And Daniel, right then, man, it's the first time I thought to myself, "Man, Mr. Jackson, that coffee bean story." Because you can't think about this story in the sense that. Hey, it's tough to be the only white guy out there. We get that. But think about them, man. Think about the black guys on that court mm -hmm. that 20 years of a bad belief system that says the white guy didn't belong out here, but in six days, everybody made a change. And these guys right. honored that, man. They'd come by my cell, by 45 cell. That and, was my and, next question. Yeah, they honored it. Oh, man, they'd bang on the cell door. West, man, let's go shoot some hoop, man. I belong, you know, and I didn't have to worry about it. The, the physical violence part was gone uh, for the most part after that. I, you know, there was one more fight I had to get into. Um, but after that, uh, once the physical violence was over, 
uh, I had to start making a change because I had become the egg, Daniel. I knew it. I felt it, man. I didn't want to be the egg. And I was even mad at Mr. Jackson at that point. And that's when the change had to happen. And the change starts with a mindset change. Mm-hmm. And that's what we all have to realize is that if we're going to change the way we do something, you have to change the way you believe. And I had to change my belief system. I had to quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. An opportunity to work on myself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's a tough deal, man, to wake up in a maximum security yeah. prison. I would imagine that's the one change most guys can't make. Uh, yeah, and it's the biggest opponent yourself. You yeah. you led right into that by, by bringing that up because, you know, I have to beat Damon first to get to this mindset change. Right. But I got it done, and I got down to the chapel, and I, I got involved with other people, and I, I, and I found ways of becoming that coffee bean. And, and, you know, Mr. Jackson was right, and it all starts with your body language. You know, once yeah. your body language is positive, you infect other people around you with that positivity. And, and negative people, when they go into a room full of positive people, I tell college football programs all the time, you know, negative people will do one of two things in a room full of positive people. They'll either get with the program and be positive because humans have an innate need to want to belong and be loved and be sure. wanted. Or they'll get out of the room. And either one of them works, man, because you want nothing but a room full of positive people. And and that prison really became a pot of coffee everywhere I went, Daniel. It was, I was blown away with the effect of that coffee bean story. So you're in there for how long again? Seven years and three months. Seven years and three months. What was the feeling like? You're terrified going in. Were you terrified coming out because you hadn't really experienced life as the new Damon in a while? Oh, I mean, was that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's a great question too, man. That's, that's a great, that's a question not everybody you know thinks to ask. So yeah, coming out was a little terrifying. It, it's exhilarating, you know. You walk out of prison. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Obviously, excited to get out. Sure. And all that, but but what now? Yeah. You right, know exactly. You walk out. You're like, what now? Mm-hmm. You, phones. When I got arrested, phones had buttons. You know, I get a, I get a hold of a phone for the first time, and there's no button in this thing. Right. I can't even light it up. You know, it's, I, I think I got an iPhone 4 when I first got out in 2015. But do you say no, no? Just give me the flip phone. Yeah, <laughs> at that point, <laughs> it's funny. My dad, my dad had a flip phone at the time. I liked his phone better. But, but yeah, man. So um, there was a lot to overcome, but I had so much support. I've always had so much support. My parents came to visit me. In Your mom was right there. Oh yeah, they came to visit me over 150 times while I was in there. 150 visits, Daniel. The richest guys in prison are the guys that get maybe five visits in 10 years, you know, because someone loves them, man. But to get one almost every weekend, unheard of. Um, but So when I got out, I had to live with my parents for the first two years I was out. Um, but God's put a lot of ma- amazing people in my life. One of the guys that you work with, Mike Order, you know, Michael, oh, yeah. Michael and I, you know, hooked up a few months after I got out of prison. My dad got me a, an opportunity to speak in front of the Lamar Cardinal football team. It was the first time I got to speak to a, a team. First present, you know, you look at it 400 and something presentations later, and it all started that room in Beaumont, Texas, with mm-hmm. Lamar. And he called, you know, Michael up, and and you know, Mike, you know, he'll tell the story that he felt like he kind of owed my dad a favor because my my dad had helped him out with a big video project he did in the early 2000s. So Mike came and, you know, not really necessarily with the attitude of like, uh, you know, let me let me really get into this and kind of skeptical. But sure. But he heard my story. And then when I tell you about God putting people in my life, it, Mike's one of those guys that was put into my life and he understood what I would need to transform this thing. He understood the social media. Yeah. yeah. The, uh-huh. Well, he helped create a vision. He and my little brother were probably the biggest people with the vision. Because you would have been thinking about what to do. Right. And, and how to how to give back right because right. you you kind of develop an idea is that what you were thinking kind of leading into this you didn't know where this was going to go i mean this no. was your first speech but you kind of 
okay, I kind of want to head this direction, right? A teacher, a former teacher wrote me when I was in prison. 2011, I got a letter from this teacher named Mr. Jellin. And Mr. Jellin wrote me a letter. And he was a principal at a junior high at the time in Needland, where I live now. And he said, you know, Damon, you ought to think about using your story to help other people and, and give back. He said, because you've been the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And so he planted a seed that day. And so when I got out of prison, I wanted to plant that seed. I wanted to make this grow. And so I had this idea of doing it, but how do I do it? I mean, I had, when I first went into these presentations, I had to go in with this, either this judge from down there named Judge Brad Burnett, who got me my start. He helped bring me into Lamar that day. Mm-hmm. Or with this law enforcement officer named Marcelo Malfino. You know, yeah. schools weren't, you can't just knock on a school door and say, That's hey, right. I, I'm Damon West. I'm just out of prison. I want to talk to your kids. Yeah. They might lock you back up. <laughs> so it was tough getting into places. It was very slow getting started. But guys like Michael had a vision, man. And so this thing just kind of started a slow, like, grassroots effort. And we're planting seeds along the way. Mm-hmm. But, Daniel, four years later, man, we're looking at it. Four, Mike and I were just talking the other day, man how far this has come and how many people along the way. Boy, it's, it's an amazing thing. The messages that come in from parents and the letters, these are the, stuff, the things that no one gets to see, by the way, Daniel. No one gets to see the private stuff, the, the letters, or, you know, I mean, I do a lot of home visits. People around the area were like, hey, will you talk to my family member or so-and-so? They're having issues with substance abuse. And, man, that's when you can really hit home. Yeah, and, I, and if I have the time, and I always find the way to have the time because I don't, I'm scared to turn these things down. It's almost like God tapping on my shoulders. You're walking out of prison saying, Damon, look, man, I put you through all this for a reason. And I'm about to use you, man. You yeah. had to go through all this to show what I can do. You're working for me now. You're working for me now. And if it ever if it ever stops being the God show and if it ever starts being the Damon West show, this is where you're coming back to, man. And so, guys, guys like Michael and my family and, and other people on the way are there to keep my, make sure my feet yeah. stay on the ground. You know? So you started at Lamar, but now it is... I mean, it has exploded. Like I said, we're in the parking lot now. You're about to head off and do another speaking engagement. You have gone to Clemson. You've spoken at Alabama. I mean, I can go on and on. Georgia, all the top football programs in the country. What has this been like? And I know the relationship you have with Dabo Sweeney and Clemson has really meant the world to you. Can I tell you a story about that? that, Yeah, of course. Oh, my God. That's one of those moments that God placed this in your life, and he he seems like just an amazing guy. So this is a good segue. We're talking about Mike. So... You work with Michael at KHOU, so it's just... Uh, yeah, he's okay. January. <laughs> he says the same thing about you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Well, Go well, back to episode one. Listen. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit this for, for audiences. That's, uh, that's younger, right. Yeah, younger view and age. So it's January of 2017. Mm-hmm. I think it's the second week of January, maybe January 10th. So it's the Bear Bryant Coaching Awards. It's always held in Houston, Texas. The yep. Bear Bryant Coaching Awards is going to name the top head coach in college football that year. So Mike knows he's, he's, you know, in this time from, you know, I've been out of prison at this point about 14 months. And I've spoken to Lamar and University of Florida. And I got into University of Florida through a friend named Kevin Barbe who was coaching there at the time. But nothing else has ever taken hold. And I've done some speaking stuff here and there. And as I'm getting a chance to speak more, but I can't get in front of the colleges. I don't even know how to, for lack of a better term, break into that. Yeah, market. where do you even start? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he says, look, man. He said, I got you a press, a press badge, KHOU. He said, you know, come in there. And, and he said, you know, work that room. See what you can do. He said, I can't help you. I've got to work, you know. But, you know, go in there and meet these guys. The best coaches of college football will be in that room. Yep. And so I even made up little business cards. And I drove the 90 miles it takes to get from Beaumont to Houston after work. And it set in the traffic. And, and um, 
It's a lot of time to think about what you're going to say. Think about what you're going to say, man, because you got to come up with an elevator pitch. Yeah. You've got, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to to cram all the stuff in. That's right. And so I hit the ground running, man. I'm Penn State, USC, and I'm striking out left and right. These coaches are looking at me just like, okay, yeah, great, man. Give me your card. Yeah, yeah sure, we'll get in sure. touch with you. Great. Good good to hear from you. And you can feel the energy, man. It's Definitely. Ne- you, you're in prison you, all these years. You have you a know, lot of those reactions. Yeah, you know how to like, read mm, energy. I'm not, I'm not hitting home, yeah, man. Yeah, man, the energy is terrible. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. So, dude, I'm six of the seven coaches done, and I'm, like, striking out left and right. I haven't even, I haven't even hit a foul ball at this point, man. <laughs> like, Not even making contact. No, man. Like, <laughs> dude, so I'm like, man, this is awful. And I'm thinking about just leaving, man. I'm thinking fold my tent and going home, but I'm like, Damon, you survived prison, man. You've been through way worse than that. Yeah. And in my philosophy in life is, man, the only question you know the answer to is the one you don't ask. That's a no. That is Guaranteed every time. That's correct. You're yeah. going to get told no every time you don't ask. That's the best you. advice when you're trying to find someone, dating yeah. wise. If Absolutely. you're worried about asking someone, someone told me that a long time ago. I was yeah. like, hey, the answer's always no unless you ask. Yeah, that's right. So it's good. <laughs> it's, it's, I tell people, I tell companies and sales teams all the time, yeah. man, the, you, know, you got to ask. So I'm like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the seventh coach. Seven of seven coaches, I'm going to get them all done before I go home. And so I ambush Dabo Sweeney coming out of the bathroom. <laughs> and so, and I and I crammed ten minutes into my my one minute elevator pitch, and he says, "You got a card?" So I give him my card. He says, "Hey, that's great, man. We'll be in touch with you, Damon. Thanks a lot. Good to meet you." And I'm like, oh. "Did you feel something though, a little different, or no? Was it kind of?" The... But he was a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, right. he, was, he said it all with a smile. I mean, sure, he was smiling sure. more than the other guys were. I mean, sure. But still, I felt like that's the same answer I've gotten. But. You know, even though I felt dejected, I felt beaten, but I left it all on the field, man. And so I felt good about that. I drove home the 90 miles and and went back to work, the law firm where I work. And I, and I spoke to a couple of schools, you know, in the interim, uh, you know, University of North Texas, Rice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, S, uh, SMU. And I got a phone call in June of that year. It was Mike Dooley, the football ops guy from Clemson. And he said, hey, Coach Sweeney just passed on your card to me. He said he wanted to bring you in here to speak to the team. He said he met you in January. He wow. said, how'd you like to come talk to Clemson? I was like, wow. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And, man, that trip changed my life because it was uh, after I got done speaking to Clemson's football team it was in August of 2017, he comes up to me. Dabble comes up to me afterwards. He said, man, have you been to Alabama yet? I said, Dabble, I mean, I've cold called him. I mean, but yeah, exactly. Got, it, yeah, what do you say? Yeah, they're, they're not, you know, I said, no, I haven't been to Alabama. I don't think I'll ever get to Alabama. He said, we'll see, man. He said, I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room he said I told him when I was watching I've never seen my my players ask questions like this of a speaker he said your story's amazing he said let me do something to help you out and so we pulled out my phone and he recorded this you know endorsement video it's 46 seconds that changed my life and when I, I remember that video yeah I went yeah. out on social media went on oh, yeah. fire and Mike helped me produce it and make it real nice and put graphics around it put Dabble's name on it and then uh, the next day when I'm flying back into Houston I land at Intercontinental Airport 930 in the morning I've got a text message and a voicemail from the football op, football ops guy at University of Alabama. Said, "Hey, Damon, we'll Holy see you in Tuscaloosa smokes. in three weeks." And that was oh. it, man. He just Dabble kicked the door down, man. And that was it, man. The rest is hitting that one. The I, rest is history. Yeah, from that point forward, you've you've gone everywhere, like I said. Everywhere, man. Everywhere. I've been so blessed, you know. But I mean, and, and, but the best thing is that, you know, you get to see sometimes the effect you're having on some of these players because you hear stories or, or even like the University of Georgia man they had a guy that got arrested in 2017 got him to Trez Patrick got arrested for possession of marijuana they called me up because I had spoken to their team at 17 
and said, hey, man, look, this guy, Natrez, man, our linebacker just got arrested. Can you do anything? Can you talk to him? So I talked to Natrez, and then I called him. This is a kid with a bright future. Bright future. Very bright future. Future NFL prospect in in their minds. And so I called the coaches back, and I said, hey, look, man, this is a good kid. What are you going to do? He said, well, we've got to suspend him for four games. We just wanted you to talk to him. I said, that you're going to lose this guy, man. And, you know, black kid from inner city Atlanta, you know, yeah. marijuana. It's, you know, he was around a lot of marijuana growing up, so it wasn't a big deal to him. And I needed to get through to this kid. I needed to let him understand the severity with which, you know, his life was on the line. And I said, it's not going to work, man. I said, look, I'm going to a Texas prison next weekend to do a, to, to do a maximum security prison to do some uh, presentations to some inmates. Give them to me for a weekend. Send him down here to Texas. Kirby Smart signed off on it. The AD at Georgia signed off on it. The kid's mom signed off on it. That is so huge. I mean, the Texas prison system signed off on it. This has never been done in the history of college football, the history of Texas prisons. We're crossing a bridge. The NCAA and the TDCJ are using Damon West as a bridge, man. Yeah. So I take this kid into a prison, and I tell Latrez on the way in, I want you to look at all the black and brown faces that look back at you when you go into this place today, man. And I'm going to ask everybody in there, you know, who got started with a dope charge in their criminal career? And I want you to watch how many hands go up. But what I didn't tell Latrez is that I had Georgia send me a one-minute highlight reel to put at the end of my PowerPoint presentation. And sports is real big in prison, Daniel. It's, it's king. Sports is king in prison, man. Oh, yeah. These guys around the Houston prison, they watch you all the time, man. They're watching. That's, if you walk in, good, you'd, yeah. be a, you'd be a celebrity in there because wow. you're a sports guy. So so we get in there, and I do my presentation, and these guys are in it because they're seeing a guy that was sitting where they were just two years before that. I mean, I had been out of prison less than two years, and I'm going back into these maximum security prisons. And these guys are listening. Surreal moment. Surreal, man. They, they're hanging on every word because they want what I've got. That's good, man. And what yeah. I'm, I'm telling them is, is about hope and, and perseverance. And so I play that highlight. I said, I want to show you all one more thing. And I play that highlight film. And these guys are oohing and on. And Trez is making tackles against Notre Dame, against all these And he didn't schools. know this. He didn't know it was coming up. But he saw it on the screen. And I said, guys, I said, my buddy up there is pretty good, huh? They're like, yeah, yeah, man. I said, well, it's too bad he's not playing against University of Missouri today with the rest of the Georgia football team. I said, he's sitting at that table right over there. And they're all looking at Trez. I said, when we get done with this presentation day, I want you all to tell Natrez about his choices in life. And, man, after that presentation was over, every African-American guy in that room got up and swarmed around Natrez, man. Little brother, what's up, man? Why are you making these? What are you doing, man? Yeah. You're going to be here with us. Well, that really hit home with them, I bet. Oh, man, when he got out, man, his eyes he was his eyes were teared up. He's like, man, mm-hmm. he said, Damon, that, that blew me away. And he just said, he's like, man, I, I had no clue, you know. I don't want to end up like them. I don't want to be like them, Damon. I'm not going to be like them. Because one thing is to hear from you another thing is to hear it from them from them inside which is who he grew up around and how could he how can he get inside there to hear their story except to come in with a presentation like this and and do that and and you know natrez now plays for the la rams and natrez had another run in with the law after they won the sec championship game against auburn in 17 And, and because he was in the system and it's like i told natrez now you're in the system man you know, one out of every four African-American men in this country is in the criminal justice system. I learned that when I got my master's degree. But I told Trez back then, I said, you're in the system now, Trez. You know, if anything happens, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. And a few months later, man, after that, that, that championship game, he gets pulled over in Atlanta with another buddy of his uh-huh. that's got weed on him. But guess what, man? They pull up to Trez, and he's got the arrest for possession of marijuana. He's in the system. Yeah. He gets another hit, man, in possession of marijuana. He doesn't get to play the national championship game that year. Because he has to sit it out because he's he's trying to fight his case. He ends up he ends up being okay. He gets exonerated, 
but he learned what being in the system was all about. And yeah. I mean, in the Trez and I talk on text, man. We talk about life and, and uh, staying grounded. And he's in L.A. now, and he's doing really well playing for the Rams. But it's moments like that. It's letters I get from kids saying, hey, you opened my eyes. Or, or, or a parent reaching out to me and saying, hey, Damon, you know, my kid came home from school today talking about your stories. You know, you got us talking about something we didn't know we needed to be talking about. Thank you for that. That's what life is all about, man. That's the good stuff. When you know that you've affected at least one life and, and that one life you affected doesn't have to hurt their family like I hurt my family or doesn't yeah. create victims like I created victims, man. You've stopped the cycle somewhere. And that's, you know, life's fulfilling that way. You're a change agent. I try to be, man. Segway time. I try to for be your book. Absolutely, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Since yeah. you brought it up. No, of course. Yeah, let's bring it up. Uh, because then that's, okay, you're speaking, you're talking, then it's next level. You're published now. Uh, you meet another motivational speaker, John Gordon. You're published there as well with the Coffee Bean book. So, I mean, now sky's the limit with your message, and you've got to be eternally grateful for all those platforms that you get to spread it on. Absolutely, Daniel. You know, and that's true, man. So the, the change agent came. The change agent came out in March of 2019, and I think your name is in the book, actually, man. I so appreciate yeah, you including me. You're Thank in you. there, yeah, with the Hurricane Harvey stuff. Does that mean I'm published? Does you, that mean I'm, yeah, you I'm are. Published. You're okay, published. Good. Okay, good. <laughs> you're officially published. <laughs> um, but you know, I got a phone call last August, and I'm at. The, I work at a law firm in Beaumont, Provo Sunfree Law Firm. And I'm at my desk, and I get a phone call on my mobile, and he said, hey, Damon, it's John Gordon. Well, look, man, I'm a speaker on the speaker circuit. I know who John Gordon is. He's a yeah. huge motivational speaker and author. The guy's Big sold name, 4 man. million books. I mean, the Energy Bus, the, the Carpenter, Training Camp, and name it. He's written tons of books. And so, but I'm wondering, how do you know me, man? So I'm like, John, how do you, how do you know who I am, man? How, how'd you get my number? He said, Dabo Sweeney can't quit talking about you in that coffee. Dabo again, man. Back to Dabo. Back to Dabo, man. He said, Damon, listen. He said, that message needs to be told around the world. He said, write a book with me. We'll call it The Coffee Bean. He said, we'll take that message around the world, man, and we'll split everything 50-50. I thought it was crazy. And I'm like, John, are you do it yourself, man. You don't need me. You're John Gordon. He said, God told me to do it this way, man. Do this with me, please. I'm like, I'm in. So we wrote the book, The Coffee Bean. It came out in July, became a bestseller overnight, uh, six weeks on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And, man, I get emails every week that the rights for the book have been sold in China or the rights for the book have been sold to Korea, Vietnam, France. I, I got an email yesterday about these people in Germany wanted to buy the rights to it. You know, So the book is literally the message of the coffee bean is getting around the world, man. It's on other continents and other languages now. It's crazy. Never. You would have never thought that this message would have gotten this far. I mean, how could you even, uh, you can't write something like this, no. you know? Only God can write something like this, and this is his story. So I just, you know, I'm happy to be a conduit of that, and, and I, I tell people all the time that there's so many things that are happening in my life that I think continue to happen because, you know, it's not my show, it's God's show, and, you know, like I don't- we said, you're working for him, right? Right, and I don't shove anything down anybody's throat about religion and stuff like that yeah, whenever no, I no. go in there. But it's not, I don't, it's not about that, it's just about, it's about the message. Yeah, so that's just and you can't, t I can't tell my story. the best person you can be, I would imagine. Yeah, and I right. can't tell my story without telling, you know, talking about what God's done for me, and, and, and I don't have a problem with that, I don't have to apologize for that, but in life, you know, we have choices every single day. We get up and we have all these choices we have to make. And those choices determine our future. And and the power to change our lives is within us, man. It's not these outside forces. All the, Daniel, I'm going to tell you something, man. I meet more people out here that are locked up 
than I ever did when I was in prison. More people are imprisoned by thoughts and the things that own them than by steel bars. You know, all these things people have in their lives that, that own them, that's a form of prison, man. And I'll never go back to prison again. My, my worst day out here is better than my best day in prison. And I have tons of perspective. And I haven't seen a bad day yet, Daniel. And Hollywood's knocking on the door? <laughs> is yeah. Hollywood knocking? Can we, can we say that? We no? can, can, we, can, we, can, uh, we can officially say they're, no, they're knocking. This is actually the first, first time <laughs> I've ever talked about this. Um, yeah, so this has all happened kind of fast. When I was at UCLA in September of this year, last month, I was in UCLA talking to Chip Kelly's football team. And uh, Chip pulled me aside afterwards, and he was telling me about, you know, this guy that he knows that's got a production company that's connected to him. And and uh, I was on the phone with my agent in Manhattan real quick, and we worked out a deal. It's called a shopping agreement. And a shopping agreement gives them one year to find the right studio and the right screenwriter and the right actor to put your movie together. And this is happening lightning fast. He took the book, The Change Agent, put it in the hands. I can't tell you the production company that's got no, it. No, but it's totally fine, yeah. It's one of the top three, and, and they're talking about one of those limited series on Netflix because you can't tell the story in just two hours. But last weekend, I got a message saying, hey, look, you need to come up with the five or seven best A-list actors you think could play your role. What a, what a surreal question. Like, it's you know, how do you, crazy. You, you watch movies your whole life, and then you're like, oh, who can best play? I mean, we all play that game, but right? But we had to have the right age range, too. It's like got to yeah. be the same age. You went into prison at 33, so we're looking for someone around there, and then you get out of prison at 40, so we need someone in the early 40s, too, that can, they can look in that range. So I had to go to my wife, and I was like, you yeah, tell she'd me. she'd probably be the best... Uh, best person yeah. to check with on that Channing Tatum was t- top of her list <laughs> <laughs> that's a, probably at the top of my wife's list too Bradley Cooper Channing Tatum yeah, yeah, they're, they're... that's awesome man congratulations thank you I am so happy for you I'm so happy for what you're doing every time I see you pop up at a new school by the way your college polo collection is out of control uh, Hey, uh, you have one from every corner of the country. Everywhere, man. All these major conferences. But you got to see my college football collection. You got to bring you to the house sometime and show you. Yeah. That. I get. Well, I get a football from every one of these schools. Oh it's got the logo on it. Yes. And my wife's got this wall with these little brackets, and all these balls are up on the wall. It's really cool. I got how many help. is it? There's like 40, 45, 46 balls on the wall. I mean, wow. it, there's they're everywhere, man. Well, I talked to the folks up at my alma mater, Northwestern, about you. So now I would love to go there, man. Yeah, now the season's started. And I know it's the purple shoes, man. Well, thank you, yes. Northwestern shoes. got me uh, those purple shoes. It's hard to find purple shoes for men, yeah. but I got them. And uh, Mike makes fun of me all the time as he's laughing in the back as we're running the recording equipment. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, I would love to have you speak up in Northwestern. They they currently don't have an offense. So if you'd like to play quarterback for them, that, that'd be great. You know, I can still chunk the ball. I can see that, yeah. yeah. I can still throw about Everywhere 60, you go, 65. you uh, you. But what, 50-yard challenge? 50-yard challenge. And I donate books. I donate a copy of the change agent, a copy of the coffee bean to a local school out there. So whatever city I'm in, I try to do that, man. Good way to give back and, you know, get out there and, and throw the ball with those younger guys. They, But it's like going to a rec yard, man. It's instant respect. When you, when oh, you, I bet. I mean, I saw some of the reactions from some of those guys. They're like, whoa, when you man, drop a, oh. You drop a dime from 50 yards out, man, <laughs> yeah. at 43 years old, they're like, wow, that's impressive. So, yeah, can I earn some respect, man? Damon West, thank you so much. The change agent, the coffee bean. If you haven't gotten it, go pick it up, go read it, and maybe someday we'll see you on Netflix. Maybe so. Maybe. Congratulations, maybe. man, on all Thanks your success, a lot, Damon. I really thank appreciate you so it, much. That was Time Out with DG. Hope you enjoyed the show. We enjoyed bringing it to you. See you next time on this beautiful little thing we call a podcast. Okay.